This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One major league soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Heidi O'Neill is president of direct-to-consumer at Nike. Then the race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Evan Novi williams Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Michelle McKenna, the Chief Information Officer with the NFL. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, let's start with the topics, and let's start with the Fanatics, Fanatics owner. And and the 76ers, our part owner, Michael Rubens, all-in challenge uh, this is interesting. Uh, you can explain this one to me. Yeah, I thought this was fun. You know, there's so many people right now that are, you know, kind, kind of get celebrities together to raise money for charity. And Michael Rubin seems to have really hit on something uh, pretty significant. You know, he's asking celebrities of all sorts, right? So athletes, actors, Leonardo DiCaprio, Justin Bieber, Tom Brady are all kind of on the list, asking them to kind of put up for auction a really unique experience that someone can bid on and win for you know in the future when when events are back up and running you know they've raised over six million dollars right now some of these packages michael i don't know if you look through them they're fantastic i mean michael rubin's package is tickets to every major sporting championship next year right so that's super bowl nba finals nhl finals u.s open the tokyo olympics you know all the way (laughs) through 12 different events um uh, Kevin Hart is offering a, a bit in his next movie. You know, Justin Bieber is going to fly to your house and, and serenade you. There's a whole list of things that, that are that are available right now for auction. And again, not not just the proceeds, but all of the money, period, is going uh, to COVID-19 relief. So again, I, I, Michael Rubin's whole message was essentially trying to, you know, persuade celebrities, people who have access to very cool things that people might want might want to contribute to, to kind of put up an experience with them as a way of raising money. Oh, wow. That, that is going to get over. And uh, I, I wish them well because that, that's I, – I love the part about Kevin Hart, uh, a piece uh, or, uh, uh, in the next movie. I like that. That's, that's going to go over. <laughs> Mark Cuban <laughs> is offering a one-day contract to play with the Mavs. <laughs> you know, there's you can design and call a play with the Philadelphia Eagles in a preseason game. There, there are some fun things here. Bring back the old toss power trap, man. That's good. I like. I just got to get a Detroit Lions one for you. <laughs> uh, this one uh, is kind of a uh, sad news here, and maybe some some good news involved. The U.S. Soccer Federation announced that it is terminating its development academy. It's a nationwide youth league encompassing several age groups for both boys and girls, and it ends now. And that that part is sad. Uh, But they are trying to form, uh, MLS, a new youth competition for the league's academy teams. And I feel bad because I always thought the – I'm always big in having the youth develop. In, in any sport, and unfortunately, 
uh, the Development Academy comes to an end. Yeah, I mean, we've talked, you know, so much over the past few weeks about, you know, where the cracks in in the sports business are really going to start forming, given that everybody is getting hurt so badly by this pandemic, you know, and similar to the conversation we had with Danny Zosner of the USTA a couple weeks ago, you know, U.S. soccer spends a lot of its money kind of promoting the sport around the country, including at the youth level. And the their youth federation, their youth development academy, was about a twelve million dollar a year cost. That you know, as a result of this virus, they say that they can't, you know, really really backstop anymore. So that's bad news. And you're right that, that maybe the silver lining here is that you know MLS is going to step in. It seems like and kind of start developing you know bigger youth competition, uh, you know, segment around you know its own youth academies. So hopefully for youth soccer in the U.S., this is just kind of a shifting of the guard and not really a loss of opportunity. Uh, but again, you know, another opportunity of what we're seeing kind of some dramatic shifts in some parts of the sports ecosystem right now. It's too bad because, yes, the coronavirus, this is another end of the coronavirus and how the cause and effect. But again, it's I hope that other sports do not terminate their youth development program. And, and and you can't fault the U.S. Soccer Federation because, again, this is something from the COVID-19 fallout, and uh, there's nothing they could do about it. I just hope it doesn't happen yeah, and, to and, other and, leagues. Yeah, and we know, you know, that you know, all these, I mean, I'll call them Olympic federations, but, you know, U.S. Soccer, U.S. Tennis Association, U.S. Softball, so many of these organizations are now applying for the exact same loans that small businesses across the country are applying for, right? You know, PPP loans and SBA loans and things like that. So, you know, it may be just like, you know, tons of small businesses around the country, a lot of the sports infrastructure right now may kind of hang in the balance of what the federal bailout package looks like and how quickly they can get access on that on those funds so that hopefully there's not a lot more decisions like the one that U.S. soccer announced this week. Uh, finally, this is your story. Bloody imagery will be cut from eSports games to keep it sponsor friendly. You can take it from there. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I thought this was actually very interesting. So Riot Games, which makes League of Legends, which is probably the most popular competitive uh, video game out there right now, they just released their new game. Michael, I don't know if your son is playing it, Valorant. Um, but, you know, early returns seem to be that it is it is quite popular. Uh, and it is a game, you know, where there's, you know, some, some sort of shooting and gun violence. And there are games out there right now that have gun violence that are tremendously popular but have kind of lost some of their commercial appeal because sponsors don't necessarily want to be associated with a video game in which someone is getting shot and bleeding out. You know, one of them, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, has teams that are called terrorist and counter-terrorist. You know, so media networks, sponsors, they've kind of shied away from those games in the past. Well, what Riot did in Valorant, which I think is actually very smart, there is a toggle switch before you start that says you can turn the blood on and off. And they are requiring that anybody who hosts a professional competitive tournament around the game do so with the blood setting turned off. You know, and that is an attempt, as I said, to maybe make the game a little bit more palatable to companies and to media broadcasters who in the past have kind of balked at at the gore associated with some of these shooting games. There's a game, you talk about that, where you can turn the blood on and turn it off. There's another game, and I forgot the name of it, and my sons were playing it, where you're trying, you you literally start out naked. You you have nothing. 
and and then you have to to get clothes and then you have to to build whatever but there's a a switch where you can turn off you know people being nude in the game and i guess this is the same thing and i remember my sons telling me about valorant i, I thought they were talking about an old car but i had no idea about <laughs> this video game so now i got to i got to study this video game so i can try to be somewhat hip so yeah, That's... it's the newest one. You got to get on it. <laughs> okay. All right. Today, we're talking with Michelle McKenna. She's the Chief Information Officer with the NFL. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a big time for you because we're coming up upon the NFL draft, and it is like no other because uh, unlike the times in the past where people have had it either in New York or Las Vegas and you've had the big crowds. There will be none of that, and technology will be really important. Can you walk us through what's going to happen? Yes, you're right. We are setting up a virtual infrastructure, really, to broadcast the uh, draft this year. So from our head coaches, general managers, uh, 58 player prospects, fans, celebrities, all of their content uh, is getting fed to us uh, over the Internet and through up to uh, ESPN for um, putting it on the air. So it's a big shift from how traditional broadcast is done with satellite uplink and more um, over the Internet uh, using certainly secure protocols, et cetera. But uh, that's that's the that's the point. The point is we're all staying at home. Uh, we're We're working from home and. In a lot of ways, this is the ultimate work-from-home experience, which uh, thousands and thousands of people are doing across the world. Ours is just going to be televised for uh, everyone to see. So, yes, there's been a lot of planning and a lot of um, creativity that's had to go into how we're going to do something that really hasn't been done before. For folks who maybe don't understand, I, mean, I certainly understand the difference between satellite and the internet and kind of how those things work. But from a from a broadcast television standpoint, what is the main, the, the big difference on your end? What, what's kind of the headache, the hurdles, whatever it is, in terms of trying to put together a broadcast that isn't coming through satellite like almost every other major NFL broadcast is, instead coming through on on the internet side of things? Yeah, it's just the number of feeds. So when you're doing uh, traditional broadcast, you might have uh, remotes set up that are, uh, you know, less in number for starters, um, as well as you are able to uh, manage, you know, with a very full control room, the, the multiple remotes you might have. And those remotes are typically uh, camera operators and, and people who are broadcast uh, professionals using either satellite uplinks or, you know, smaller satellite uh, uplink, uh, not the trucks and things, but there are um, VSATs and things that work. This time, uh, what ESPN is uh, going to have to deal with, with uh, our assistance and with partnerships with our NFL partners like AWS, is uh, we're having, you know, hundreds of live streams that are coming in, and uh, the producers are going to be picking from those hundreds of live streams to decide what gets pushed to air and when it gets pushed to air. So it's uh, one is the way the content is created. Another is the, you know, by not professionals. The other is how it's delivered, uh, which is not 
over uh, satellite. And the third is uh, the producers that are producing and getting the show to air are dealing with a lot more inputs and, you know, put on top of that, it's live. So that's, you know, the final challenge is we've seen a lot on television even in the last few weeks as people have begun to work from home. And, you know, you've seen the, the quality difference and you've also seen the fact that at times it, it, it gets a little um, harder to manage and you can see it happening and the real high quality ones tend to be recorded. Uh, so ours is not going to be recorded. It's going to be live. <laughs> so uh, it'll be uh, an interesting, uh, really live thing that's, I think, really done for the first time. So exciting, but also a little scary for sure. Well, I think what's going to be interesting is that you have all of these streaming shots of all of the, especially the first rounders, uh, are going to be in their living rooms or whatever. And I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be part of the shot where everybody's going to be live streamed when their name is called. That's right. We're, we sent to each prospect um, a camera, a set of camera kits um, that has a camera that is uh, sort of set aside for an interview camera. Um, it's a it's a phone. Uh, with you know, what's great is uh, the quality of the the video capture capability of phones today. Are, it, it's amazing how good the quality is. Mm. And then there's another phone that is uh, set up um, as the sort of always on live stream that is showing you know them in their living room. So what we love about it is that. It's very authentic and real and will give us the opportunity to, you know, show that we are absolutely in, you know, modeling the best behavior of staying home and staying safe during this time, um, but also gives us a much more, I think, closer, intimate look uh, with really the future stars of the NFL. So it is a very, you know, tough technology challenge, but such a unique opportunity that, uh, now we're also able to do many more prospects than we would have done um, had we, you know, had the draft in um, Las Vegas. You know, you would have had a few people in the green room, or as, um, as you normally have. And now we're, we have uh, 58 uh, players um, that have committed to be part of this. Michelle, I want to talk about the care packages that you guys sent out to the 58 draft prospects that are going to be involved in this telecast. When I first heard the draft was going to be digital, I kind of assumed that Joe Burrow would have a computer in the corner of his living room or maybe would be talking to you guys from his cell phone via selfie. Uh, but it's much more complicated than that. You guys sent out packages that include tripods, LED lights, various microphones, multiple cameras. Talk us through one how those packages, what, what's comprised of those, and two, how you get them to set them up when you can't go to their house specifically to do it for them. Yeah, well, you know, to, to the first point, what we sent them was, you hit on a little bit of it, uh, one of the most important things is setting up the camera so that it's steady and that it's uh, in the best angle and you've got the best light. So uh, we made sure we sent uh, two light kits. We've got one that's a that's a ring light where you mount um, a camera in the middle of the the phone goes in the middle uh, of the light um, that has uh, headphones, uh, Bose headphones attached to it, earbuds. Uh, we um, have made it as uh, simple as possible in that we pre-assembled all of the power cords and the uh, stands and all of those things. So really all they have to do is 
unfold it, uh, plug it in, and mount uh, mount the phones on the uh, the holders. Um, that was that's sort of the first kit. The second kit was uh, an in, uh, sort of the wide shot, which would be the wide shot of uh, the room uh, where they are gathered with uh, hopefully a small number uh, of their families, and that will uh, that has also an LED light and a boom microphone that is attached so that we can have good uh, audio. So we tried to give them the best of um, what you would typically get in a, in a broadcast scenario with sort of consumer-grade devices, which have, have really come a long way in the last few years. And how much do one of these kits cost, all the ingredients, if I wanted to set one up in my own house? Probably each each kit costs, well, the phones alone, I mean, it, let's think about that. It's two two iPhone 11s that are, that are in there. Uh, we partnered with Verizon. Uh, Verizon procured all the phones for us. So, you, you, you know, you know what an iPhone costs, and that's, you know, 58 sure. times two because um, we have two of them in. Uh, and then, you know, the other stuff is really, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars of stuff. And we were talking about in the last segment, those kits that you send out to the uh, prospects. I could use one of those because when I had to set up here at home, uh, the, our extraordinary engineer, Charlie Vollmer, is, is, who knows second, is second to none in it. Uh, and me, I'm about as dumb as a post. Uh, and we're trying to set it up, and he, he finally said, "Is like, do you have that turned on?" It's like, oh no, I don't. So this is what you go through when, when you're trying to do something like this. This is this is extraordinary, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of those, and you got to test 50 plus prospects involved. So this is going to mm-hmm. be an extraordinary outtaking for you guys. That's right. We we begin our testing processes. We've already begun. Um, some of the kits are already in homes and set up, and we've begun to test the streams and um, help them make sure they, you know, get them all put together and set up. You know, the players are so excited about being a part of this, not only um, because, you know, this is such a big moment in their lives, but also they get to help us um, bring bring to light um, something that I think, you know, we need in America today, which is, um, you know, a chance to come together as a community, see things, uh, you know, keep normalcy as much as possible and raise money as well. And, and they're all very excited about participating. So it's been quite easy with that group. A little more challenging on the club side. You know, we've put them in a situation where they have to work from their private residences. They can't gather together for the draft. It has to be virtual as far as their uh, gathering. And so that's been uh, challenging, um, but they're also committed to doing it and doing the right thing. And uh, so a lot of testing and a lot of help uh, that we've been doing over the last, you know, seven or eight days. Uh, and now we're, you know, seven days away really from, from it all, you know, all happening. Michelle, I do want to ask you about the on the team side of things, as you just mentioned, you know, I, I learned very early in this job that NFL teams are very, very strict and sometimes kind of verge on the side of paranoia about security. You know, um, mm-hmm. when you think about all of this stuff happening digitally, how what are you guys what steps are you guys taking? What's different about this plan now 
you know, in terms of a digital security standpoint, something you might not have had to worry about necessarily if all these guys were together in their own war room as opposed to separate in their own on their own couches. Well, you know, certainly, you know, we don't want to go into specifics around what we are are, are doing. Uh, you know, just suffice it to say that the majority of breaches uh, occur um, because of really poor password management, uh, because of poor, um, you know, not having two-factor authentication, uh, things that we as a league have already implemented and had implemented um, across all clubs, you know, in the last uh, few years. So it wasn't like we had to all of a sudden become a much more secure operation. Um, we transmit data, very sensitive data, back and forth all the time from the clubs to, to the NFL. Uh, we're able to use, you know, private networks uh, where uh, possible. Um, so it was really more of, I guess, discussing how uh, teleconferencing and video teleconferencing as of late has become a target and how do we get uh, make sure best practices are followed there. And if best practices are followed and you do what you're supposed to do, the chances of, uh, you know, getting that intercepted um, are a lot less. So uh, we did a little bit of, you know, just making sure we met with every single club. We met with every single GM and head coach. We discussed all the the types of things they're going to need to be doing, and one whole section of that was on, security and they certainly are very uh, aware of the importance of that and we all we have contingency plans and we have a you know a, a lot of uh, help so to speak in uh, making sure that you know we're safe and safe and secure and what to do if we do detect any kind of um, activity that's not normal one of the things that's fun about watching the NFL draft are the fans because the fans will react as like, yeah, we got so-and-so or no, we got so-and-so. Do you have any <laughs> kind of, of a camera involved where they, that you can watch the fan reaction? Yeah. You know, one of the best things about uh, the way we're curating this content. And if you think about how, you know, social influencers have been curating and publishing and broadcasting content forever is they're using their own devices. And so, Yes, we have. Each club has uh, worked on a, a plan for how they're pulling fans in using their own devices and how we're going to be able to show them uh, being excited around picks and reacting to picks. And uh, you'll be able to see that on the broadcast. Michelle, I think we'd all be in agreement that hopefully, you know, this is the the first and last NFL draft that has to happen fully in this in this way. But I'm curious if there are things you guys are doing, playing around with now that you think may be permanent features in how you think about draft coverage or big event coverage in the future that maybe you weren't thinking about just because you weren't, you know, having to be so reliant on the digital virtual side of things. You know, it, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, we just wrapped up a hun our 100th season, and as we were, you know, winding down that season, we were talking about, you know, we were on to the future and looking at the future of how we presented our games and how our fans were able to connect with our players in a more authentic way and how would we be able to uh, – you know, give more unique um, sort of content uh, that that pairs well with the broadcast. 
we just didn't have any idea that we were going to be doing it within, you know, 60 days of having those <laughs> discussions. And so I do think there are things that are we're learning. Um, certainly, technically, it's been, you know, we're going to test out the capability of it. Um, but we've watched the rise of, you know, the YouTubers of the world who've become international celebrities by, you know, putting their own content uh, to broadcast you know, over the top on the internet that is very high quality and um, some of the widely, you know, widest followed people in the world are these uh, celebrities. So, you know, we'd like to see our players and our fans be able to get closer to our players in a way that's kind of a helmets off type of way where you know the players better and you can identify with them more. And I think this is going to really start that um, in a way that, you know, we probably would have taken longer to do. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll prove out how we would be able to integrate, you know, sort of overlaying, you know, fan-created content or player-created content over a traditional broadcast. I think those are the kinds of things that will probably be here to stay for all of us um, in, in all media and entertainment uh, after this. This was supposed to take place in Las Vegas, uh, and obviously, unfortunately, that has been canceled, and uh, has been told now it's going to be in Bronxville. Uh, <laughs> what happens when, obviously, when you talk about a big city like Las Vegas and it gets canceled, that has to have some sort of a financial impact on everybody involved. Can you take us through? Uh, hopefully maybe it will be rescheduled for next year in Las Vegas and, and what happens from here? You know, there are definitely in talks uh, with uh, the Las Vegas uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau in and around what our alternatives are. You know, we're very excited that uh, we're bringing a team to Las Vegas and that that uh, project has been moving forward and uh, is on schedule to open. So, uh, the people in Las Vegas are still very excited about our presence there and certainly looking to, you know, wh- when can we get it back to Las Vegas and uh, what types of things on our event plan could we look at for Las Vegas as a destination. So uh, we're trying to get through the draft, and then I think we'll uh, be looking at, you know, our whole event calendar going forward, um, including, you know, planning Super Bowl um, coming up in Tampa. So we we are going to have to turn our you know sights to that pretty quickly after um we get through this draft Michelle shifting gears for a second i'm curious if the woman who runs the nfl's technology efforts are you more comfortable working from home than the rest of us who seem to be going crazy <laughs> right now <laughs> well you know what i miss is all of my social interaction with my team and being able to just walk mm. down the hall and chat and catch up but um because i you know, I, it's it's funny. You you laughed the other day. I was having a problem with my computer, and we were on a big Zoom call. And uh, someone said, uh, "My goodness, Michelle, this is like the shoemaker's children. You don't your computer's not working." <laughs> I was like, "Well, it happens <laughs> to the best of us." But yeah, I'm very comfortable with it. Um, I've always felt like, particularly in the tech field. Um, People that work in technology have been working remotely for many years. We might have been the first wave of telecommuters in, you know, in the world, and 
there are uh, so most people that work and do technology are comfortable uh, working from home uh, from getting your work done. And we have found that uh, everyone uh, has adopted uh, well to it, including the commissioner. It's been, uh, you know, which uh, in the beginning would have been, you know, we thought, wow, would this, is this going to work? But what we do miss is uh, seeing each other uh, in person. And, you know, that goes to, I think, to the, you know, we're a family and we miss each other. Uh, that's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest challenge of working from home. I think the thing that I miss the most, and Michael and I were talking about this earlier today, it's it's not a technology piece. It's my ergonomic chair. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's having, you know having that, that in my office. So true. Like I'm sitting in, it's a pretty chair that was put in my home office for looks, <laughs> and um, it is definitely very uncomfortable. So I find myself roaming around the house with my laptop sitting in different places all day uh, just to try to change up the comfort as well as the scenery my family just gave me a present for my birthday and it is a, an office chair because i was sitting in a folding chair before uh like i was in the basement uh, at a party somewhere and now <laughs> at least they gave me something to wear you know i'm, I'm halfway comfortable i totally appreciate that uh, oh, that's a great gift <laughs> let me ask another question uh, and, and this involves uh, when when the games start, will we ever see, and I'm just, just out of curiosity, will we see fans in the stands for the first few games, your opinion, uh, when we play football again? Wow. Um, you know, that's a hard one. I, uh, Put I mean, her on the, the spot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The commissioner ha- has come out and said that, you know, our number one, objective is to protect the health and safety of our players and our fans. So we'll, we'll be following, you know, our, uh, federal state and local guidelines in regards to all of that, um, including when players return and, and when we return to the field. But right now, uh, we are planning to begin our season in September and that's what we're moving ahead with. Um, but with an eye to just, you know, We've we've had to adjust uh, very quickly on this draft. Uh, we we began with it being in Las Vegas, and then we went to a we'll do um, everyone work. The prospects won't won't gather, but the clubs will be able to gather in their facility as long as it's less than ten. And then we went from that to no, we're all virtual and everyone is staying home. So we have adjusted on the fly, and I expect that that's what we'll have to keep being able to do is uh, have the ability to make plans, get them set, but with multiple contingency plans should A, B, or C happen. So uh, obviously we'd love it to happen with fans in stadiums and able to do exactly what we've planned, and there's there's a lot of hope for that. But we're we're planning for um, all the scenarios. And Michelle, how do you think about specifically your job? You know, interacting with all those kind of scenarios. I would imagine no matter what football looks like this fall, hopefully when we get it in, you know, there's going to be added technology pieces to that experience that maybe would not have been necessary or would not have been included if everything had kind of flowed normally into September. 
Yeah, you know, the game is very much, uh, I mean, I have responsibility for football technology. So even on a regular game day, so much of what happens is um, a technology, you know, backbone supports um, everything from, you know, instant replay to um, next-gen stats to all the stat systems. There's a lot that goes on. Um, So those kinds of things will continue. But I do think we'll be looking to get more and more creative around how we produce uh, content. uh, And that requires technology and it requires really a little bit of rethinking um, how we do things. So I expect that we'll keep up this creative work that's been going on within the league. It's been awesome to see. Uh, We have pulled together in a way that I'm so proud of and people are doing jobs that, that aren't their typical jobs and they've jumped in on this. And I think we'll, we'll see more and more of that uh, as we go through planning for what's next. Well, Michelle, I'm going to look stupid again and unplug something and not make it work on my end at home. So I appreciate it that you guys are tech-savvy and can teach me a lot of things about this. Michelle McKenna, (laughs) CIO of the NFL, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am amazed how technology has changed things, Evan, because now we're going to see, as as she put it, I think what – over a hundred streaming videos and the producer has to go through all of this and try to find the best shot. I don't know how in the world a producer can do that, but bless their hearts. I, I, I am very interested to see how this is going to play out on TV. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially this idea of sending, you know, to, to almost 60 prospects, these two tech kits, she went into pretty good detail on what they were. It's not a little microphone or a phone and a, and a camera. You know, it is, you know, stands, it is tripods, it's lighting fixtures, it's boom microphones, it's surge protectors. It's, it's the whole setup. You know, it, it's so funny to me to think about, you know, these guys who on, you know, possibly the biggest day of their professional lives are also kind of simultaneously getting this crash course in kind of professional uh, digital producing. And I, th- I think there's a, there's a really fun juxtaposition there. And I'm curious, kind of as you said, Michael, as well, you know, if we can fast forward to what the draft looks like in 2025, how many of the things that the NFL is actually playing around with right now are things that become legacy features back when they can do live in-person drafts in Las Vegas or wherever they're going to be? Yeah, uh, especially this was supposed to be in Las Vegas, and I feel bad from the fact that everybody was all set to go to Las Vegas, and people were ready to gamble, and people were ready to have fun, and on top of the draft, of course, and you know the fans were going to enjoy all of this, and now that all got came to a crashing halt because of the coronavirus, uh, and obviously, which is, that is a bigger issue than we're talking about the NFL draft, but this has affected so many businesses in so many ways. So I hope we can get back to, to some normalcy. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Good luck. <laughs> okay. uh, 
Play. I can't get them when they're obvious. <laughs> Play along at home if you can get this one. Uh, the number is $3.3 billion. Oh, man. Uh, oh, God, I don't even know where to begin. The amount of revenue that the NBA may lose if it can't hold its playoffs. That's a great guess, but that's not where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> but nowhere close. Uh, <laughs> Give me a hint. In uh, India. I'm going to say India. Oh, a sports bit. My sports business knowledge of, of India is is not solid. Okay, I think you got to give us the answer. Uh, Alibaba and Tencent. They're going to try to cash in with a billion plus cricket fans because watching cricket and playing rummy, they are online passions for hundreds of millions of Indians. So about 300 million players, they use apps such as Dream 11. And uh, they hope that the player base can expect at least to double by the end's year. In industry sales, this is where the $3.3 billion is coming in. They are forecast to reach about $3.3 billion by 2024. So that is amazing to me that cricket, yes, I get. Rummy, <laughs> I, I didn't see that one coming. So I Yeah, you, you know, guys. it's one of those things we... We, we've mentioned it, the, the gaming, especially in countries where there are various forms of lockdowns, India included, you know, gaming and especially mobile gaming is, 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 is thriving right now. So, you know, no question that if you're Alibaba or Tencent, you know, all of your almost all of your business is kind of on the digital video side of things. Uh, this is a, this is a big opportunity for sure. Hey, we watched Championship Bridge back in the 60s. So, hey. Why not watch Rummy? I, whatever. Hey, okay. Uh, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Please join us next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs> 